feminist podcast i just want to give a heads up that there will be portions of today's episode that have some background noise or fuzz just from how it was recorded we're so sorry about that i hope you still enjoy the episode i know i do i think it's a really interesting topic today thanks hello and welcome to episode 80 of the christian feminist podcast on the christian patriarchy movement i'm katie grubbs and with me today are victoria reynolds farmer and blake miller hi friends hey Hey there we're going to quickly introduce ourselves uh, before moving in to, uh, to our discussion today. And uh, Blake, why don't you start? All right, thanks. Uh, my name is Blake Miller. I'm a graduate of Abilene Christian University with a Master of Divinity degree. Uh, I'm an ordained and endorsed minister in the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, and I'm currently a chaplain fellow at the Atlanta VA Medical Center in Atlanta, Georgia, where I live with my wife, Ellen. Thanks. Victoria, how about you? Hey everybody, Uh, I'm Victoria Reynolds Farmer. I am Senior Manager of Audience Development at Public Radio International in Minneapolis. Uh, I'm also currently pretty exhausted. I've been on two business trips in the past eight days, Uh, so I took today off from work just to kind of rest and and get my head right uh, for the end of Holy Week. It's it's Good Friday as we're recording this, so uh, I am enjoying a little bit of a rest right now and uh you might know uh listeners if you're a common listener to this program that my husband is michael farmer of the christian humanist podcast so hi christian humanist listeners if any of you are listening thanks and we really appreciate you being with us tonight given your crazy week uh, i'm katie grubbs and i live in houston texas where I am an adjunct professor of English at Houston Baptist University. This semester I'm teaching all online, but I also teach on campus, and I've also, um, I've also been responsible this year for building new English classes for the English department at HBU, new online English classes for that program. And uh, I am also a mom of three, soon to be four children, with uh, David Grubbs of the Christian Humanist Podcast, and uh, I'm also, uh, one of the other things that brings me a lot of joy is that I'm also a women's Bible study teacher. So that's something that's also a big part of my life. Um, before we get started, I just wanted to talk for a few minutes about why I decided to, to, to do this topic. Um, because in some ways, it's, uh, it's something that's, that can be very frustrating to read about and study Christian patriarchy. At least once during preparing for this episode, I messaged Victoria and said, why, why did I want to do this? because it can, be, it can be hard stuff to read. But we wanted to talk about this uh, for a couple of different reasons, and I'm just going to kind of run down a quick list. Um, foremost, to define it for people who are unfamiliar with the term or unfamiliar with the movement, um, because it is something that's out there in Christian culture um, that we feel like people ought to know about. Um, that's one reason. Another reason is to kind of delineate some differences between Christian patriarchy and 
more, uh, I guess we might call more mainstream kind of complementarian thought, um, which still emphasizes male headship, but in a very different way. Um, and then also uh, something that I feel like is, is really important too for this particular topic is a good reason to talk about it now is because I think what, as our culture has been changing over the past few decades, I think that it's, it's possible that more and more people might, more and more people in the, in the kind of larger Christian subculture might be tempted toward this area out of fear, um, fear of cultural change or fear of their children being raised in a culture that feels to them overwhelmingly secular. Um, so it feels, uh, timely. Um, and so we're going to uh, we're going to go ahead and move in just a, a couple of brief caveats. This episode is going to be slightly different from our normal routine of knowing, reading and passing on in that in the first section, we're actually are going to be talking about a reading um, that lays out some of the core beliefs of uh, some adherents of this movement and then also talking about readings later. And um, we're also going to be talking about more different readings in this episode than we usually do, but they're all articles. None of them are too long, and we'll link all of them, listeners, so that you can look at them if you're interested. Um, so we're going to kind of move into knowing, but before we talk through any specifics about some of these texts and some of these beliefs, I just wanted to kind of give us all a chance to, to talk about what um, kind of previous experience or exposure to Christian patriarchy that we've had in our lives and uh, so we'll go ahead and get that started with Blake. Right, thanks. Uh, I mean, I've met individuals who've certainly held that women had fewer options when it came to church leadership uh, and also had ideas about um, complementarian relationships between a husband and wife, but I really haven't shared a lot of time with anyone who's had robust beliefs about restrictions on women or daughters at home or most of the broader tenets of biblical patri patriarchy that we're going to get into. I've known that these ideas exist from uh, various sources, the occasional you know, documentary about Christian sects that promote this, or even that show about the Duggar family, if it was 17, 18, 19 kids and counting, something like that. But I haven't had a really close relationship to anybody who's practiced this method. Thank you, Blake. Uh, Victoria, how about you? What experience have you had in the past? So my experience is also not personal. I haven't had any direct uh, in-person conversations with people who um, practice or have practiced Christian patriarchy, but uh, my connection to this subculture is through the internet. Um, I started reading um, a lot of message boards and blogs that either focus on people who are still active in that subculture or people who were raised in it and have left, uh, just because this subculture is really kind of square in the middle of my um, theology plus gender theory wheelhouse um, in terms of the distinct gender roles of the culture, and honestly, um, a lot of its adherents have become kind of internet celebrities within the community, and that whole thing, given their conservative ideology, is really fascinating. So um, I've I've done a lot of reading um, in places like uh, freeginger.org, uh, ginger like ginger dugger. Um, it's a message board that talks about fundamentalism and gender, and a bunch of other uh, stuff, but started talking about fundamentalism and gender. 
um, and some other blogs that I'll that I'll refer to later in the show. Um, but I will say um, I'm probably going to need you guys to rein me in from going down rabbit holes because I, I have been really fascinated with this subculture and people in it for a really long time, uh, and I know a lot of random stuff. We're definitely going to lean on your uh, superior knowledge, Victoria. Um, my my kind of encounters with biblical patriarchy, just kind of research aside, are um, I'm kind of the opposite of you guys. I, that mine are almost all personal. Um, this is a a thing that I mainly became familiar with initially because um, my husband David Grubbs um, actually grew up kind of on the fringes of uh, Christian patriarchy when he was a young person for a time when he was a child and then into his teenage years. Um, his family were part of ATI, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes. Um, and fortunately, in uh, in the case of his family, that one actually did not have a huge effect on the way their family daily operated in their home. Um, there there were not the negative consequences um, that you see have seen in some cases um, with people who were involved in these movements. And also, fortunately. Um, perhaps providentially, um, once David reached his teenage years, his family actually exited that subculture. And that's something that ha they haven't been a part of for years and years. So it's very much in the past. But when we first started dating and we're getting engaged and things like that, he was kind of telling me all this information because it, it explains some things about him. And it's something that was a big part of his past. And so I know like he um, gave me a book to read and um, about uh, Bill Gothard, head of ATI. And, you know, just to kind of say, hey, here's, here's, what, here's where I'm coming from. Here's something that you should know about me. And so, and he um, also has some other friends who are still his friends who were in that same community who also are not anymore. But so it's something that, um, there's all these personal connections, I guess, that um, are kind of plugged into the, to the edge of that, as it were. And, um, one thing that was is actually interesting about that particular personal connection is that when they when his family when they were kind of exiting that world it was actually a lot less to do with um kind of rules and practices and the the kind of stuff that's adjacent to the beliefs all the practices and the lifestyle stuff and it was a lot more to do with um the theology and a, and a very strong feeling that wait a second this is this is flawed theology this is legalism this is not um what we actually believe so that was kind of, um, that's a, kind of an interesting um, side note, I guess. Um, we're going to go ahead and move in, and um, I'm going to, Blake's going to give us in a few minutes a deeper dive into um, the beliefs outlined by one particular group. Before we do that, I'm just going to give a, a, a little brief intro, um, and then Victoria's going to add, maybe add a little bit to this, uh, into the major groups involved in the movement, or the terms that you might hear or, or have heard that are affiliated with biblical patriarchy. Um and by the way, that's another term. We are saying Christian patriarchy. Often people within th this world will say biblical patriarchy. Um, those are two different names. But some of the biggest kind of groups, the first one would be Vision Forum, um, which was founded in 1998 in San Antonio by a guy Doug Phillips. And um, and I'm going to have Victoria talk about that a little bit more in a minute. Um, but And then was eventually closed by its board of directors in 2013, um, after its leader, Doug Phillips, confessed to marital infidelity. Um, that one's also interesting because there were two sides of Vision Forum, Vision Forum Ministries, which was a nonprofit, but then also Vision Forum Inc., which was the commercial side um, of that particular group, which ran on, went on a little bit longer, about a year longer than the ministries before it was also shuttered. Um, 
Another one, the one that I know more about, is uh, ATI, Advanced Training Institute. Um, when David was a part of it, when he was a kid, it was called ATIA, Advanced Training Institute of America. Um, but then later just became ATI. Another thing that goes with that is um, something called the Institute of in Basic Life Principles, IBLP, um, which was the kind of main ministry of um, that was happening. And then the Advanced Training Institute was the way that they were getting all this teaching out. And that was kind of started in 1984 by a guy, Bill Gothard, um, who was kind of just a, a bachelor guy. He never married. Um, his dad had been a minister and that went on for several decades. He stepped down from his ministry from IBLP in 2014 because there were multiple allegations of sexual harassment and molestation from, I think 34 different women accused him of, uh, of those types of, of things. In the end, no criminal charges were filed, but he, um, he stepped down from heading his ministry though, as I found out today to my immense heaved outness, I can't think of a better way to say it. He's totally still around, totally still has an active website, full of testimonials from women who say he's totally not creepy, you guys. I promise. So that was not fun um, to yeah. figure out. Um, and uh, there's also a couple of different um, websites for people, like Victoria mentioned, who've been formerly involved in these ministries. The one, uh, the one that's affiliated, or the one for Vision Form is called Recovering Grace, is one of them. There's also uh, one that's just for people who are part of ATI. Um, and other names you might have heard connected to or that are connected to Christian patriarchy are people like Douglas Wilson, R.C. Sproul Jr., the Duggar family, which Blake mentioned there. Um, they have never said they never said on the air who they like, who they were affiliated with or what they were doing. But the first time my husband ever saw that show, he said those people are ATI people. You can tell. Like you can tell by the ways they talk, the things they do, and even the phrases they, they, that they use. So that was kind of interesting. Well, also they uh, go to ATI conferences and, um, and people related to their family have worked at headquarters in Oak Park. Like if you watch their show really closely, you can connect the dots. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's, that's actually, yeah, that's totally true. Um, and they'll, so I noticed too, sometimes they would like have hangouts with other families and I would hear the name of the other family and I would think, I know that name. Why do I know that name? And it would be a family that I'd read about in the book or that I, you know, that I'd like, um, heard of before I heard of the Duggar family. Um, including we should mention the Bates family, which also have a TV show, um, and 19 children. Uh, their TV show has switched networks, but the Bates are high up um, in the ATI community, and their father, Gil, still serves on the ATI IBLP board, um, such that when one of the Bates' daughters got married, instead of a groom's cake, they had a birthday cake for Bill Gothard. Um, what? Which they... Pictures. Uh, I have seen pictures, and then they tried to change the label of the cake on the blog, but the internet is forever. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, well, I'm going to throw out one more name, and then I'm going to let Victoria talk about Vision Forum for a minute. Um, the one other name that you might have heard is um, Michael and Debbie Pearl, who wrote a book called To Train Up a Child, which is fairly horrifying. Um, oh, yes. Yeah. Which we um, talked about on our Christian adoption episode, like a million episodes oh. ago. Oh, that's right. I remember that. Yeah, because, yeah, there was all kinds of stuff that happened with, with part of the Pearl family with adopting um, from Africa. Um, and that, the main thing that you see, uh, one of the things that you hear about with them is that uh, 
Pearl Ladies, whatever, made a magazine called Above Rubies, which is very popular with women in the Christian patriarchy movement. So those are just kind of just throwing out some names. If you've heard of any of these people and didn't know who they were or didn't know, they're people in the Christian patriarchy movement. But I'm going to let Victoria talk for just a couple of minutes and give a little bit of background about Vision Forum, since I know so much less about that than ATI. So Victoria, I just want to give us a few quick highlights or um, other things besides just the dates and stuff with that. Sure. Um, this is going to be pretty off the top of my head, but uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. So Vision Forum, as Katie mentioned, is founded in 1998 by this guy, Doug Phillips. And his purpose is to um, not just spread a biblical worldview culturally, because he's, he's very concerned with... Um, families that that sort of look nice and and put a good face on biblical principles um, but he uh, he's a dominionist he is uh, he's pro theocracy um, and he believes in uh, a Christian reconstructionist worldview as taught by um, RJ Rush Dooney which is a, another big name you'll see um, in in a lot of these a lot of these circles, the idea that eventually, um, like nation states will will fall um, in in favor of this this worldwide Christianity, and that until that point, we should um, keep keep the civil world separate from the Christian world. Um, they're very into. Uh, Christian homeschooling movements and Doug Phillips um, helps found the Homeschool Legal Defense Association, um, which gives legal counsel to Christians who want to keep the government out of their children's education. Um, but the, the most interesting thing about Vision Forum is how gender divided its cultural mission is. It put out this monthly catalog with children's books and toys in it. Um, the books were mostly 18th and 19th century books. Um, they repopularized this one series for girls, uh, the Elsie Dinsmore series, uh, which is pretty, pretty abysmal um, in terms of its views on gender and race. Um, I'll, I'll maybe uh, include a, a link to some excerpts of that. Um, but the, the interesting thing about the Vision Forum catalog is what the toys for children were. Uh, lots of adventure toys um, for boys. This is something I've actually talked to David about. He said he was, uh, he was super into uh, some of that stuff when he was a kid. Um, Robin Hood and swords and uh, really, really adventure-heavy things, um, which did not uh, appear in the corresponding girls' catalogs. Um, those were about uh, learning to be a keeper at home, which is a, a phrase that comes up a lot, um, as early as you could. So dolls, doll houses, uh, tiny, in some cases, like brooms and mops and such, uh, irons, etc. To, to teach you how to take care of a house and children um, because that's your God-ordained role. Uh, one more thing and then I will wrap up this rabbit trail. Uh, 
Uh, Vision Forum was also very famous for their public events. They hosted a Christian film festival in Texas for several years in a row. They also have these elaborate uh, sort of costume parties that are about putting forth their view of gender. Um, there are lots of different ones. The most famous is uh, uh, like a Titanic-themed dinner party um, because uh, Doug Phillips says because the sinking of the Titanic was about the doctrine of women and children first, about these manly men sort of, you know, sacrificing themselves um, and, and keeping their wives and children safe. Um, it's, it's this, like, themed dinner where everybody dresses up. Um, it should be noted, maybe unsurprisingly, that everyone uh, who attends this party is dressing up as a first-class passenger. Uh, not, not a lot of people dressed as being in steerage at these parties. What? Um, I'm shocked by that. Right, right. Um, but, but this just sort of really strangely ahistorical pretty classist, not unracist um, view of history. There's basically only one high-profile black family in Vision Forum, um, the Balkums. Uh, maybe we can talk about them later, but maybe not. I'm gonna stop talking now. Thanks, Victoria. No, all that's really great. Um, and then the one other thing I'll throw out before we um, move on to this um, article about Vision Forum theology stuff is um, one other term that is tossed around a lot is family integrated church, um, which is also and I should say family integrated church is not just a big deal for Christian patriarchy people. There are other people who subscribe to it, but family integrated church being the idea that the family is is really is more important than the local church. And so um, with family integrated church beliefs whole families sit together in church all the time. There's no, oh, my teenagers, you can go sit with the other teenagers. Families are together. Um, people who believe in family integrated church tend to never send their kids to like children's ministries or youth group, even if those things are happening in the churches that they go to. Um, though oftentimes they won't even go to churches that have that stuff. They'll just have their own churches um, where they don't have any of those other things. And so the idea being that the family is all important, even within the local church, and uh, you can see this creep into sometimes out of a desire for separation. Um, I know David told me one time um, that a church that they went to when he was younger, not the church his family goes to now, this is a different church, that there were people in that church, homeschooling families, who were agitating for a separate youth group for just for the homeschool kids. Because they felt like even the other Christian kids in the youth group in the church um, were still going to be a bad influence on their children because they like were allowed to go to public school. Um, and so they like they wanted a separate youth group, um, which just blew my mind. So much fear. Um, that, yes, that's, that's the thing that like just really permeates this whole thing for me is like so afraid of not just the outside world, but like that's not even the outside world. That's the church. Yeah. Yeah. It, no I mean, kidding. Absolutely. Uh, and, Go ahead, Blake. Go ahead. Yeah. Sorry, I was just thinking uh, we'll, we'll get into this article on the tenets of uh, biblical patriarchy. And what's interesting is that after, at the, each of the tenets, at the end of them, they, they put in three or four single verses to uh, bolster their claims. And when, when you're talking about, you know, being tainted by these uh, fellow, you know, teenagers or, or children going to their their churches, I, I was just remembering James 127, you know, true religion is 
to keep oneself unstained from the world. And I'm sure that that was on their lips at some point or another, a single line from, from all of scripture, the thousand plus chapters that they could use to explain why they needed to do that. Why don't we go ahead and, and get into that? Uh, yeah, no, go ahead. Piece. Go ahead and, yeah, go Blake. That's a good segue. <laughs> all right. Sounds good. So, uh, I read one of the main articles says the tenets of biblical patriarchy, uh, and they outline uh, 26 tenets that guide their practice of biblical patriarchy in, in nine big headings. And interestingly, the first tenet is also its own heading unto itself that asserts that God reveals himself as masculine throughout scripture and throughout history, and they explain uh, through pointing to certain verses how each aspect of the Trinity is addressed as he most often. And I can point to verses that, that express basically each of uh, the characters of the Trinity um, in feminine terms, but I'm sure they would argue that, you know, the overwhelming majority carries. So the article goes on to say that God has ordained distinctions between male and female roles since creation, since before even the fall of man in Genesis 3, and that hasn't changed, and that husbands and fathers have more authority in the household, because the Bible says they do, and that Christian families should submit themselves uh, to the authority of churches, which are, of course, led by men and have to be led by men. It goes on to say that women are supposed to be keepers of households to the exclusion of having outside jobs. Uh, and it, I think it mentions a, a um, exceptional circumstance of a woman being unmarried. I'll just leave that there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that women are meant to procreate because way back in Genesis 1, God said, fulfill the earth and subdue it, uh, and that the family ought to be responsible for the education of their children through homeschooling, though they seem to be able to bend the rules uh, a bit and, and argue they, around the idea of you can have a homeschool co-op of you and your fellow uh, biblical patriarchalists you know, coming together to make a co-op. Uh, it continues by talking about how children are under their father's authority while they live with him. Uh, sons can go off and get jobs when they come of age, but daughters are under their father's authority until that authority is given to their husbands. And parents have a big say in who their children are allowed to marry, of course. And finally, it, it ends with three tenets that extol the sufficiency of the Bible for teaching and ethical guidance. So, I went through all of these uh, tenets, and it was just interesting to me um, the 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 manner in which they argued for these various um, ideas, and and really also a lot of the scriptures that they they picked. Like I said, they're very conscious about cherry picking. Some of these have you know four scriptures, and they're all single verses, and two of them are from. Uh, the Old Testament and two are from the New, and I would argue that that seems like you're you're looking for something you really hope is already there. Uh, and some of them just seem to be stretched pretty thin. Like, for instance, in Tenet 13, it talks about how uh, a woman is supposed to be a keeper at home, but one of the uh, passages of Scripture it mentions is Proverbs 31, uh, verses 10 through 31, the whole woman of noble character passage I'm sure you both know about. And I always think and it's interesting that— complained about on this show before. Oh, yes, or definitely. Or complained about yeah. interpretations of it, not the passage Exactly. Itself. 
Yes. Well, yeah. one of those ideas that I thought of was if she's supposed to be at home, why is this woman of noble character buying a field and planting a vineyard in that passage? She sounds, you know, like a pretty good entrepreneur. She's probably going to have to leave the house to do that. She can't do that on Amazon.com from 2,000 years ago. She's talking to merchants at the city gates. She's, yeah, yep. she's doing stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, Tenet 14 goes on to all but completely say that women are helpmeets not just to their husband, but to any and all men, uh, which I, I think is a pretty nice stretch. Um, the, the injunction to be fruitful and multiply is brought up when it comes to women being required to have children, which is funny because I, when I was in seminary, I had a scholar tell me, you know, of all of the uh, commands that God give throughout scripture, I would say that's the one that humans have actually completely completed. Uh, I think that the earth is pretty well subdued by humanity at this point. Um, let's see. Parents should be the primary teachers of their children, uh, but they should also let the best Christian teachers they know be the primary teachers of their children. That entire idea about education, of course, it makes sense that if you have a a lifestyle that is so separate from your culture that you would, you know, want to control education. But it, I'm really lost as to how they pull that out of scripture themselves. And Be because yeah, they it just want goes to on monetize it and market a bunch of um, a bunch of curricula to their adherents is my cynical answer to that. <laughs> I think you're probably right about that, Victoria, because there is so much. I mean so much literature and so many different things that are kind of standardized that um, to, to, to be used as aids in this process, I think that's probably true. Right. Theology and Ponzi scheme is unfortunately two great tastes that sometimes taste great together for some people, it would seem. So uh, what did y'all think? Any, any particular things stick in your craw or, or anything uh, that you thought was understandable? And I'll maybe uh, add in at the end just one little final thought about it as well. I think one of the things that I noticed a lot reading these is that um, some of the things mentioned are kind of um, also a part of, of complementarian thought, the idea of male headship in the home and the church. But it's but this is a degree of intensity or of um, emphasis that goes beyond right to the idea that, as you mentioned, that, you know, all women are meant to be helpers to all men, um, that all that all women should be uh, or all, all women are to be in submission to all men so that, um, you know, they would, they, you know, average complementarians usually tend to say, well, you know, male headship in the home and the church, but, you know, don't have any problem with, um, men and women working together or even women being in positions of authority in the workplace, for example, um, or something like that. But, um, in this particular, uh, theological framework, you know, also in civil society, women are, are supposed, they would say women are supposed to be in submission at all times. Um, and not in positions of authority. So, you know, um, no women running for office, you know, not even the school board, which they wouldn't be involved anyway, because that's schooling outside the home. Um, or also, you know. like, there are families in this movement that um, if the husband dies, the wife then, um, the, the umbrella of protection, which is a, a term that... Um, that isn't used in this document, but is, is often used in, in communities. Um, the umbrella of protection, because the husband is dead, transferred to her oldest son. So now she is under the authority of her son, which 
doesn't even make sense internally because that's not how the umbrella works but because she's a woman and her son is a man that's a loophole yeah yeah and and i should say too victoria and i and and blake too we might also mention things in here things that appeared in two other articles that we read that also talked about the beliefs um though they're coming from the other side. So the, the article that Blake mentioned was actually put out by the Vision Forum people explaining their own beliefs. And then we also looked at um, two articles by a woman, Libby Ann, who writes at Phatheos, one called What is Christian Patriarchy and Introduction? And then another one called um, uh, Men and Women in Christian Patriarchy, Masters and Slaves or Equals. And that one mentions what Victoria just said. Yeah, the idea that there's all these different kind of um, like rules or, or I guess guidelines maybe of who is in authority over a woman at all times. There seems to be no concept in this framework of a woman who is taking responsibility for or in control of herself. Um, I told David, it reminded me of almost a little bit of, of way back in the medieval period when you had this concern about widows, like, oh no, this woman, she's, her husband's dead. He's not in charge of her. She's got money. So she's not even bound to have to, you know, like tie herself to anyone else because she's well off. What's she going to do now? It's like this weird concern with women who were, you know, loosed from any authority structure. And this seems really endemic in the Christian patriarchal culture. Okay, let's see what else. Um, I thought it was interesting, too. I thought it was interesting the things that I've seen in the complementarian world that are jacked up to 19 or on a scale of 10 or whatever in Christian patriarchy. Um, the idea too, this document was interesting to me that Blake's talking about too, because it, it says a lot of things that to me, having heard from David, what is actually happening in some of these circles just seem um, disingenuous or like they're flat out understating the case. Um, the idea in this section, one of the sections Blake mentioned is called a father and his older children. And it says, um, father should oversee the process of a son or daughter seeking a spouse while a father may find a wife for his son may find a wife for his son sons are free to take initiative to seek and take a wife a wise son will desire his parents involvement counsel and blessing in that process um, but it also says in the previous tenant fathers release sons from their jurisdiction to undertake a vocation prepare a home and take a wife and something that um, I've seen a lot that David told me he saw but also just in reading stuff is that frequently what will happen is you will have parents, um, fathers, and, and then also the, their, their wives insist on their sons, um, working for them, serving in their home for a pretty long time. Um, you know, this cause it's true of the Duggars, um, as well. If, if anybody yes. follows that show, um, a number of their recently, not, well, at least two, um, of their recently engaged or married sons just have houses on their property and work for not that working for the family business is bad but you can't out of one side of your mouth say leave and cleave um and then out of the other side of your mouth you know not make space for that to happen i think exactly yeah because and and i think you know because for one if you if you release your son to be married then you're at least giving lip service to the fact that now he's going to be separate from you which means that you know you can't get all his valuable labor 
you know, that you won. Like David told me it was super common in the circles they were in where you would have kind of 30, 32 year old guys getting married to like 17 or 18 year old girls, not because those guys were necessarily creepy and preferring younger women, but because that their, their parents did not say, okay, cool. You can get married until they were in their early thirties because they didn't want to lose these guys as workers at home or in a family business or whatever, you know, I mean, it's, so it's, it's and, and it's also twisted too because you have all these um, statements about how the 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 husband father's the ultimate authority in the household everything he says goes all this stuff so you have all these young men being told that they're going to have absolute authority but then not really being given the chance until they're older to even learn how to exercise authority because their parents are keeping them in the home and where dad's word is law. And then they get, you know, married off to these poor girls who get these husbands who are supposed to exert absolute authority and have no idea how to do it because they're they've never had any even delegated authority in their own households. And it, it's, exactly. it's very sad. Anyway, right. King Lear would be proud, I guess. <sighs> well, <laughs> yeah. oh, gosh, um, I don't but, think I had anything else. Victoria, did you see anything in these tenants that you wanted to talk about? Um, yeah, just before we leave the fathers and older children section. Um, I'd like to talk about the difference between the verbs used to talk about sons and the verbs used to talk about daughters um, in terms of getting married. Uh, sons take a wife and daughters are given by their fathers to their husbands. Um, which, like, I guess is not terrible um, on the surface. I mean, there are a lot of just garden variety complementarians who I, I know think that way too. Um, but Katie, you're right in saying, like, there's a lot of stuff that's not here. Um, the intricacies of courtship culture are not uh, here, but they're, they're underneath the surface. The idea that these couples are often very closely chaperoned, um, physical contact is very closely monitored, um, and you're, you're really expected um, to, uh, to, to go from zero to 60, as it were, on your wedding day and, and think that it's okay, even though there hasn't been any previous acceptance of, of physical, in some cases, physical uh, contact alone. Um, people in this community sometimes encourage um, chaperoned events completely until after the wedding. So, like, I, I just can't imagine that. If you've never had a conversation alone with someone and you've been taught that you know, sexual desire is, is evil, um, but then a, that switch is supposed to flip um, when you get married. So if you add that to the sort of um, a, active-passive gender divide that, that's in the language, um, there, there's a lot going on there. Well, I think that fits in pretty nicely if, if you see this as less of a matter of the heart and, and going out into the world. And uh, I want to say something that sounds a little better than getting what you want or, you know, seeking your your own goals. And what I see here is hewing to the rules and hewing to the protocols, doing what is has been provided by God himself, himself. To, that is known to work. And so in, in that instance, uh, I could almost see somebody saying, what exactly is, is the point of, of making sure that you like this person this much or that you, know, you guys have in-jokes or anything like that? You're compatible because your parents have said you're compatible and you have the parts and the, the roles that are compatible and that's all there is to it, I could see somebody saying. Yeah, that makes sense. 
Yeah, I, I think that's true. Um, and I, I think that gets us to, um, gets us to the, the next pieces, maybe what, what Libby says about how this stuff is actually, um, actually lived out. Yeah, yeah. And, um, did you, did, was there one of those you wanted to talk about first, Victoria? Um, I, hmm, I'm not sure I, they sort of run together for me. Like I said, I've been reading, um, Love, Joy, Feminism, which is Libby Ann's Pathios blog, um, pretty much as long as it has been around, um, and I had read these pieces before, um, I, I reread them for this, but her blog kind of runs together for me, um. So why don't, why don't I let you go first? Um, okay. Um, I think one, I, one, I, li- I really like the one called What is Christian Patriarchy? Because the, in that one, she kind of lays out some of the, um, some of the differences of intensity so that she says things like, um, let me find it here. Um, many evangelicals use the rhetoric of male headship, but see it as merely spiritual or figurative, right? So that it's supposed to express something, um, you know, you'll you'll hear complementarians say that the man should be the spiritual head of the home, um, you know, and kind of leave that up to each individual couple's interpretation, right? Like what what that means. And we talked about that a lot too in our complementarian and egalitarian episodes. That um, you know, here's some beliefs of of complementarians. Here's what it actually looks like, and you know, and every household seems to view it differently, right? Um, but she says for Christian patriarchy, though, being under male authority includes obedience, and that this obedience is absolute. It's not figurative you know, or whatever. It's no, you are to be, you know, the women are to be obedient in the same way that the children are to be obedient. Um, and, uh, you know, also just in talking about things like separate roles, you know, again, complementarians sometimes will, um, encourage women to, you know, there's a lot of, and it's not, it's not like ugly, but there's a lot of passive encouragement and a lot of, you know, um, pedestaling of stay at home moms in the complementarian world that I don't um, always love. Um, but it's not like a requirement that's being set from the pulpit in the churches. Whereas in kind of Christian patriarchy, the women are only to be working in the home. And like she points out, even if their families desperately need money, they're not to work outside the home. And I think that's something I noticed reading all of this stuff is that there seems to be in this kind of Christian patriarchal world, very little, if any tolerance for nuance or individual situations, right? The idea, super super legalistic. Yes. Extremely legalistic. The rules are the rules. This is what you should do. Uh, There, there seems to be very little toleration for individual situations or nuance so that even if you have a scenario where you have a husband or father in one of these families, who's been injured perhaps um, in an accident or something, or who has become ill and is unable to work to support the family, even in those situations, there's no toleration in this world for uh, a, a wife and mother doing any kind of work outside the home. Um, the, the idea is that a uh, that God will find a way for that family and that um, it would be worse to for the wife to work outside the home than it would be for the family to maybe be a little hungry for a little while um, or something like that. So that's something I noticed a lot in the things that she had to say um, in that particular article. And uh, the other one, I think is interesting because um, the other one is interesting too, because even though I think um, Libyan was coming out of a uh, vision forum, right? That's where she was coming out of when she was a kid. Right, Victoria? Yes. Okay. Um, 
but in that particular article in the men and women in Christian patriarchy masters and slaves are equals, she is actually talking about Debbie Pearl, who's in a slightly different um, group. And one of the things that she, she quotes Debbie Pearl on that to me is um, very interesting. Yeah. And she talks about, me, yeah, to me too. I, I wanted to, to talk about that, that passage um, as well. Well, why don't you go ahead and do that? Because I feel like I've been talking for a while. So why don't you kind of summarize that little section for us, and we'll talk about it. Okay. So um, Katie mentioned Michael and Debbie Pearl earlier. Um, They are um, famous for their book, To Train Up a Child. Um, But Debbie Pearl also wrote a series of books. Um, One of them is called Created to Be His Helpmate. And then there's kind of a, like, teen version of um created to be his helpmate called yeah. preparing to be a helpmate um and this is the idea that uh even as young girls women are to internalize the idea that their highest divine calling is to be a keeper of their home and a servant of their husband um there's one sort of jarring sentence in Libby's piece Uh, according to Debbie, even questioning your husband's decision in a matter is a no-no. And then the following sentence, my mother keeps her copy of created to be his helpmate by her Bible, uh, which is, it's just a sort of chilling, uh, chilling sentence. But I, I do want to read the quote that, um, that Libby pulls from, uh, Debbie Pearl. As Adam was created in God's image, Eve was created in Adam's image. God could have shaped two clay figures and breathed life into both, but he chose to take the woman from the man's own flesh and bone. I have come to see that tiered process as very significant, making it consistent with nature that the woman should be the helper in the chain of command. Libby understandably takes offense to this, saying, uh, man was created for God, woman was created for man, this is not equal. What I think is interesting about that um, is what Debbie Pearl is saying is uh, true in in one creation account in Genesis and and not true in the other creation account, something that we mentioned um, in our our previous episode on Stanton's Woman's Bible, Uh, so I I won't go through all of the the differences here again, but I I do wonder um, if if anybody has ever asked Debbie Pearl that question and, and what her answer is in terms of, well, you're talking about what happens in Genesis uh, in the creation account in Genesis two, but what about the one in Genesis one? Have you I think read she'd probably that just book say Victoria? it was. Go ahead. Sorry, I think she would just say that Genesis one was underdeveloped and and not as nuanced as Genesis two, and that's why they needed to rewrite it one chapter later. Um, Victoria, have you have you read Created to Be His Help Me? I have started reading it several times. Uh, I, ha- I have yet to make it all the way through because it is blood boiling. Oh my gosh. It, I, I, like it's on my, I, I'm looking at it right now. It's on my desk because my friend, um, one of my friends at church, Stephanie months ago, she said, Hey, somebody gave me this book and I thought it was good when she gave it to me years ago. And now I'm thinking it's kind of ridiculous. Do you want to read it? <laughs> So she gave it to me because she knew that I would probably think it was funny and it would make me mad. And yeah, it's the same thing. I've read at it and I, I just keep almost throwing it across the room. And and not just because it's 
the, the way that she's talking about men and women is so oppressive, but also because I feel like she contradicts herself all the time. Um, she's always talking about, you know, basically to what sound like to me ways of manipulating your husband um, that, you know, to, to like, she, she goes on and on about how you can make him into a great man. It's all on you. Like you have the power through being perfectly submissive, perfectly winsome, all the things that she says you should be. If you do that right, you will change him, which to me sounds like the exact opposite of saying he's the head you need to follow. It's just, it's, it's very strange. And it doesn't, I feel like she's kind of self-contradictory a lot. Also, she is very ugly and unkind when talking about other women, which yes. to me is a huge red flag. Yes. That, um, is, that is why I stopped uh, reading the above Ruby's blog, even to hate read it, um, which, which <laughs> I, I admit all you listeners, my impulse to hate read things is a sinful impulse that I need to not give into. <laughs> Uh, but I, I had to stop because she's just so um, so mean to other women, especially um, uh, to me. One of the one of the biggest um, problems with this community is the way that they tend to treat infertile women um, or, or mm-hmm. women who um, otherwise can't uh, have children. Um, the the idea that like because it's your highest purpose to get married and procreate um there's an idea that you should it if uh if you're not for whatever physical reason um then then you're not trusting god enough or your god is um is closing your womb the phrase they use um because of sinfulness so there's just so much like self doubt and and fault heaped onto people for things that are not actually their fault. Yeah. And one other thing in that article, and then we probably need to move on, but one other thing in that article by Libby is that she talks about that Debbie Pearl emphasizes a lot is the idea that men are more fixed and steady and that women are by design more flexible and should be so that she says things, you know, towards teenage girls, like you need to be she quotes her saying, you need to be flexible in your likes and dislikes. You need to be able to basically change yourself to fit whoever you end up getting married to. And there's never any suggestion that you won't get married, first of all. Like, you know, what if you never yeah. get married? There's, yeah, because, you know. so Debbie Pearl has these, like, three or four archetypes of man. Um, I, I won't go through that, oh, but maybe, yes. I'll, maybe I'll link to this, too. There's going to be a million links in these show notes. Um, <laughs> Good luck, listener. Uh... There are these three or four types of men, and in preparing to be a helpmeet, there are sections. Like, if you think you're going to be married to this type of man, you need to be like this. If you think you're going to be oh married to a visionary man, you need to be like this. There, There's none of this, like, what kind of woman are you? That doesn't matter. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah, and she says you need to fasten yourself to be what he needs. Again, though... <laughs> Very contradictory to what is actually created to be his helpmate. Because if she's going to say that man is fixed and steady and he fits one of these types and you need to fashion yourself to him, but then she's always talking about how you can, through your behavior, make him into basically a different man or get rid of all his bad habits. If he's mean, you just got to be sweeter and then he'll be less mean. It, it's very strange and it doesn't, it doesn't work. Like you said, it's talking out of both sides of the mouth in a way that's extremely frustrating. Well, she's wrestling with her impulse to have her own values and ideas and opinions and, and have room in really in her head to believe that her husband can make mistakes. And, you know, how can a person not have those ideas? How can a person not 
see other people do things that they think are mistakes and not feel that way. But that, of course, goes against, I guess you could say, her theology. That makes a lot of sense, Blake, for sure. Um, let's go ahead and move into our next section because we don't want to overburden our listeners. Um, but so we're going to talk about a few. Our first section, we kind of looked at what are the basic beliefs and practices. Um, in this section, what we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit about um, with our first article, how does the movement affect, um, we'll probably talk mostly about women, but also how does it affect men? And uh, Victoria's gonna summarize an article that, uh, that she read for us, and then we're gonna talk a little bit about that. So why don't you go ahead, Victoria? Sure, so this article um, is called Why I Wish I Had Gone to College, and it's by um, a woman named Melissa. So she opens with recounting a typical morning Um, She's readying young children for the day, taking them to the potty, getting them dressed, feeding them breakfast, trying to get herself ready in between, rushing around. Um, And then there's a sentence where she kind of drops the bomb. Uh, I'm quoting now. Sounds like the life of any stay-at-home mom, right? Except I've been doing it for 16 years, and I'm only in my mid-20s. So she is raised uh, in a Vision Forum community, a Vision Forum adhering uh, community as well. She's um, raised to be a keeper at home. That's her calling in life. Um, But once she does everything she's supposed to do, once she gets married and has children, um, she becomes depressed because she realizes that there's sort of no room for differentiation between her childhood life and her adulthood life. She is just doing all the things she was doing for her parents um, to her own children in a way that doesn't really let her um, attach to her children in a way that she would prefer. And then she starts to resent the fact that she did everything right. She courted a Christian husband. They got married. They didn't have sex first. Um, They had kids, uh, but she even feels guilty about that because she feels like she didn't have uh, kids quick enough. It took over a year, and she felt like a failure as a woman because she grew up hearing that this was her only calling. Um, Again, legalism, the the narrowness of acceptable womanhood um, makes her feel like she's not good enough. And eventually she says uh, that she... Uh, still sort of feels like a failure because her husband is uh, in graduate school and she wants to do more to contribute to their household monetarily, but she doesn't have uh, the education or job experience to be able to do that. She tells this story of um, money being really tight and so she drives to a local fast food place Um, and gets, just getting an application makes her feel like she is sinning. Um, So just a a really narrow view of of what her life is supposed to be. Um, And I I will say, I've read um, more recent uh, entries on Melissa's blog, and she eventually gets past this really dark place, uh, has more uh, children, girls, three girls, I believe, uh, and she eventually does go to college and, and start, start working, uh, and her husband supports these endeavors. So this, this blog is, uh, is years old, but it, it really is a, a sad, um, read in terms of the limits that 
this kind of belief system puts not just on women, um, but presumably on men like Melissa's husband as well. That's actually why I picked it, too, is that I, I, I thought it was an interesting story because, you know, she was, in this particular case, you know, feeling like that she had been very kind of oppressed by her parents because she talks about wanting to learn more, wanting to do more, um, you know, coursework for school and her parents not encouraging that at all because it would take away time from helping around the house. But I also thought it was interesting because this is a case where you even have a woman who um, seems seems to have a very supportive husband and still the whole family is being harmed by this ideology because, you know, she wants to contribute but feels like it's wrong. Um, and, and she points out, like Victoria said, it's difficult to be a woman who can't have children in this particular world. But she, I, I, one of the things that made me the saddest reading this is she talks about how if she had never been able to have children, her life would have been severely constricted because absent the, the task of, you know, caring for children, the only other thing that she would have been free to do would be to help her husband in his work. And since he was going to be a minister, she said, you know, I can't write sermons for him. And she talks about just kind of hanging around the apartment with non-existent housework because she's done it all already and she's not allowed to do anything else and she doesn't have any children yet. And it, you know, and it just sounds so um, mentally constrictive. And uh, Victoria, thank you for giving that update of what happened with her later because I, I didn't actually know any of that. Um, when, and I should say, listeners, too, some of the things you'll see that we are linking are older articles. And part of that is because I think there was a time um, several years back when a lot of people who had been involved in these things um, as younger people and then were not when they got older were starting to write about it. A lot of it are these, um, like I know Libyanne on Patheo, she's still, I mean, she posts every week, but the articles that we're linking from her are years old, but it's because that's when she first was writing her first post about, here's what this is. Here's why I'm not doing this anymore. You know, um, the kind of basic um, stuff was written a, a while back. Um, and so that's one reason for some articles that we're going to link that you might think this is a little old. Why now, you know? Any other comments about um, about this before we move on to our last article, you guys? I was really struck uh, when she spoke about her father telling her what things she did that would infuriate her husband. Yes, and it really that word. So scary. Yeah. Yeah, yeah really I, I'm kidding. I'm, I can only imagine how young she was when she started hearing that. And I, I started wondering about how much love she felt she received from him. And it really inculcates in me this feeling that in this movement, a father has room to not have to feel like he owes as much love to his daughter or that he it's not his responsibility to show love as much as it is the mother's responsibility. And that kind of emotional starvation would most unfortunately be well suited to asking young women to idealize and and desire these very narrow gender roles if if you if you teach a young girl this is what you have to do in order to receive love from the men in your life unfortunately that's probably a good way to get them to act the way you want them to and for I, for a little while at least and i think that's why a lot of these blogs um places like um, recovering grace places like homeschoolers anonymous um, of this second generation of people who were raised in this movement um, and have chosen not to raise their own children the same way i think that's why the majority of these blogs are written by women uh, women in their late 20s early 30s 
who um, feel like they were treated like second class citizens and and taught to taught to be treated that way that that was um, not only acceptable but but necessary yeah absolutely and I, I think something too that uh, an effect I think on men and women that that I've seen just kind of through through my husband and you know other kind of people that we've known who are part of these movements one of the to me the saddest things is that some of these people who kind of um, like second generation people, like Victoria mentioned, who exited this movement, like, you know, my husband and all of his siblings are a good example. You know, they all kind of ended up as, you know, mainstream complementarians or egalitarians, still Christians, but not involved in Christian patriarchy. But then you've also got people, a lot of people who were so scarred by growing up in this environment that they just completely left behind the faith in any form. And that I think is one of the saddest kind of consequences that you see for women and men growing up in this environment. I think probably for more women than men, because they were getting the worst end of the deal, I think, but that, that, you know, you have people who were completely turned off to the idea of faith because of the way that, um, scriptures and different beliefs and these different legalistic rules were used against them. Absolutely. Uh, I know one of my favorite, uh, pastors, a man named Matt Chandler was talking about other, something similar to this. And he basically said, if you don't teach the core of the faith and you, and you lift these ancillary issues to a place of too much prominence over against the real truth of the gospel, uh, you just wait until something really bad happens to the people who've been hearing that. And they will feel like they did their part in, in God's grand design, but God didn't do his. And that's how you, they get squeezed out of the faith, like a bar of soap between your hands. Yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense. Um, I think let's go ahead and move into our last article that we're going to talk about tonight. Um, and in the last section, I just wanted to say a few words about um, how this movement again is is differing from some other groups um, like mainstream complementarians that that talk about male headship. But um, one of the articles that I found. Um, and I'm going to summarize quickly for us that is a, a little more recent. This is from 2016. Um, it's called The Patriarchy Movement, Five Areas of Grave Concern. It's written by a guy, Matt Holst, um, at the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals um, on the Re their Reformation 21 section of their website. But um, he's writing from a complementarian perspective. So um, he's not automatically rejecting ideas like male headship. Um, but he talks, and I, I, I was kind of frustrated when I was looking for articles because one of the things I went looking for was to, to see what complementarians were saying about Christian patriarchy people, because I feel like one, and I, and I said this back in the complementarian episode, I think one of the most important things we have to do as complementarians is to make sure that we differentiate, not just from that we differentiate on both sides. Um, that we don't just focus on saying, here's how we're different from egalitarians, which I think is is usually what almost always happens, but that we need to expend way more energy than than has been given in the past on saying, and here's how we're not like these people on the other side in the kind of Christian patriarchy camp. Um, because I think for a lot of people um, who are either secular or who are more progressive Christians, they they might not realize that there are differences between kind of, you know, more mainstream complementarian ideas and, you know, the Duggars or, because if you don't know much about either, um, and you, and both believe in male headship, I'm putting scare quotes around that, like then, yeah, how are they different? Are they different at all? Um, and it doesn't help that sometimes you'll have people, you know, regular complementarians who don't know anything about the Christian patriarchy movement, really watching the Duggars and going, well, that seems nice. 
they seemed happy. That's probably fine. I remember my mom saying things like that when they first came on TV and kind of saying, hold on, mom, <laughs> this is what's really going on. Because, <laughs> you know, they're not going to say all that stuff on TV. But uh, the things that he mentions in his article, um, and he, he has like three or four caveats, making sure that he says that, you know, I'm not disagreeing with, with biblical truths about headship, um, but that here's some ways that this, uh, this movement can be a problem. And it's interesting, too, because the things that he talks about are on a larger scale, so that he's not talking about as, as kind of as personal stuff, how it affects individual people, but rather how it can affect the church. So his, his areas of grave concern that he lists are that Christian patriarchy tends to supplant ecclesiastical authority. Um, basically, in this world, the family is all important um, and definitely more than the local church. And so he says in, you know, in these families, um, you've got the father having, um, you know, way more power even in that family than his pastor. And so, you know, in, in the kind of mainstream complementarian world, there's space for the elders of a church, you know, getting involved if there's something going on in a family that's not okay. But that kind of, that would be seen as, as a kind of base interference in a Christian patriarchal context, um, because the father in his own space is, uh, is all powerful. And, uh, Hulse says, quote, a failure to recognize the authority of the officers of a biblically faithful local church is a failure to recognize the authority of Christ, um, the head of the church. And, and something that is not mentioned, but I, I guess is sort of between the lines of this article, is quite often um, these are home churches or family churches anyway, not headed yeah. by ordained pastors. Oh, that's true. And, and that's true. That's kind of a hole. He probably should have mentioned that. Because, yeah, what if there are no elders? Or what if the elders are all these same, you know, men who are in charge of the families? Um, another thing is he says Christian patriarchy tends to supplant ecclesiastical community that um, people in a Christian patriarchal world tend to be very isolated from the local church. They're not even, like Victoria was just saying, a lot of times they're not even in a local church, but even when they are, the family is, again, elevated above the church so that even within the church, the family always sticks together. There's no separation. Um, and he just points out that in scripture, you know, the church is held in highest esteem. Um, and you can see this, he doesn't say this, but you can see this in the way that Jesus talks about um, the church versus his, his blood family. Um, and, uh, he also says, uh, and he says such a misunderstanding frequently produces socially stunted children as well as carbon copies of the patriarch. Um, a few other things he mentions as areas of concern, um, Christian patriarchy tends to pervert the father's God given role in the home. He says as prophet, priest, and king, which he takes a point to say, these are like functions and that the fathers, um, they're not offices, so that the father's supposed to teach his family the word of God, intercede in prayer, um, you know, apply the law of God to his family, but that it's not, this is not all consuming. These are, you know, kind of functional roles, um, not uh, non-negotiables. And then in the next one, he also says this perverts the mother's God-given role in the home because he points out that often mothers are doing all those same exact things in the home. And yet in Christian patriarchy, it's the mother is not given her, her proper due, um, her proper honor. Um, and then the last one he says is that Christian patriarchy is an area of concern because it's a, it tends to be a man-made law-based system. And he says there's a great danger for sinful men in a singularity of authority. Nowhere else do we accept it. So he talks about um, how God's ordained a plurality of elders for the purpose of keeping authority out of the hands of one man, um, which I thought was interesting. Um, cause that's also, that's also a problem if you see kind of like celebrity pastor driven churches, if you think about people 
like Driscoll or, you know, these churches where you uh, in theory have a plurality of elders, but really one man is in control. And how often have we seen that go wrong? And he says, you know, this is a problem in Christian patriarchy too, because you've got this singular one authority and no other authority is recognized, not in the church or, you know, society or anything like that. Um, this is why it's not shocking that both Phillips and Gothard um, are the subject of sexual abuse allegations, right? If if you have yeah. this very top-down structure of authority where you're supposed to um, obey without question, which is, um, that's direct quoted wording um, of, of how uh, parents are, are to teach their children to behave um, it's from the uh, ATI handbook. I mean, no wonder, right? O obeying without question, that's a, a recipe for abuse. Yeah, and I and I, I mentioned to my husband too, one of the things to me that seems so weird and culty, at least about ATI, is that, like we mentioned way earlier in the episode, there's so much fear um, and so much worry about mixing with the world or even with other Christian teenagers and all these things. On the other hand, you had lots of people who never hesitated to send their teenage daughters to go work at headquarters for Bill Gothard, an unmarried man. Like, David made a joke about how Gothard definitely wasn't following the Mike Pence rule. Like, for all the conservatism and all of the, you know, all the kind of rules in the way that he comported his life while he was still head of his ministry, you know, he... I, I, you know, it's just, it's interesting to me that, that they had, they have, they had all these fears, but in this one area, it was like, anything was fine. Um, and yeah, it was, it's, it's was overwhelmingly creepy to be looking cause he still has his website cause he's still alive today. The man's in his eighties and to be looking at, there's a list of testimonials on Gothard's website, um, all from women, all saying things like we were alone all the time and he never did anything inappropriate. I don't know what you guys are on about. And Bill Gothard's awesome. I mean, super creepy, super creepy. Look at all these people um, I didn't molest. Isn't that great? <laughs> right. I know it's, it, and it's just, it's, it, and, and I'm reading it and I'm thinking, you know, in at least one case, you know, you have a, a woman who was a very young girl at the time talking about, Hey, but here's all these times when we were totally alone and nothing happened. And I'm thinking, Okay, but that also means that you had, again, you know, this this unmarried, decades older man who, you know, nobody around him thought it was strange that he would hang out alone with these with these teenage girls like that is a problem. Um, so, yeah, it's it's just it's one of these things that um, like Victoria said, it's a rabbit hole. If you go down it, there's so much that you can you can find. And um, we could talk about this all day. Um, we probably should move on to passing on. But before we do, would you guys like to say anything else about this? I think you've mostly covered it, and we have gone on long enough. I would just, uh, I would just say that the real place where my heart breaks is that when you have this rigid a model, a prototype of how to live, I feel such pain for where the men who don't find wives, the wives who don't find husbands, the women who can't have children, the men whose wives die, or, or you know, wives whose husbands die, or anything like that. Uh, I just I shudder to think at how these people navigate it when the plan goes awry and the best laid plans of mice and men. So I know that that means many broken hearts have been have been made in, in these in these communities. That's a great point, Blake. Um, well, listeners, we're going to link try to link everything we talked about. It might be our longest link, link, link list ever, but if you're interested, um, there's a lot of information that we'll be providing to you. We're gonna move on to our last section now, our passing on section. 
And um, I'll, uh, I'll go ahead and let you guys go first. Blake, what are you recommending this week? I normally wouldn't suggest a novel uh, for this, but I happen to be reading uh, a novel by Stephen King and his son, Owen King, called Sleeping Beauties that's been reminding me of this episode. It's about a town in, I think, West Virginia that experiences a lot of mayhem when all the women in the world start falling asleep and they don't wake up and actually like these cocoons start forming around them. And within two days, you know, the world is, is having these extremely violent reactions to how, how they're going to deal with this. And it's an interesting reflection on how the men and the women interact and what it means for society to take the women out of the equation and basically the destruction that develops uh, that if you're familiar with any Stephen King stuff, he's, he's, in typical form in terms of, you know, violence or profanity. So be cautious if you uh, feel the need to. But what's always interesting to me about uh, King and his sons uh, is that they're really good at writing evil people who can perfectly justify their evil actions to themselves when you get in their heads. And that's been a really interesting part uh, of getting into the mindsets of people who are okay with doing terrible things to women and also, you know, waiting for them to get their comeuppance as well. That sounds fascinating. Um, thanks. Victoria, how about you? Uh, I'm going to recommend two blogs of um, people, sort of the, the two opposing sides of, of people coming out of this system. Um, one of them, Katie, you already mentioned, Recovering Grace, uh, which is a, a kind of center for mostly ATI, but I think some vision for them too. Uh, people who are part of this second generation who have left um, left that belief system, and um, a lot of them are, are still Christian, but um, are kind of trying to figure out what that means for them. Uh, so that blog, and the second blog I'm going to recommend, I may have already recommended on a previous episode, uh, but if so, I'll recommend it again. Uh, it's called No Longer Quivering, and it's... Uh, in reference to the Quiverful movement. It's run by a woman named Vicki Garrison, uh, who worked, was high up on the uh, No Greater Joy and Above Ruby's uh, staff. So the two biggest kind of uh, Quiverful stay-at-home mom ministries, she worked for both of them and uh, has since taken her children out of the Quiverful movement and is now an atheist. But her story and, and the other women on NLQ's stories are, are fairly fascinating. So I would recommend both of those blogs, Recovering Grace and No Longer Quivering. Thanks, Victoria. My recommendation this week um, is, a, is also a book, though it's probably the total opposite of Blake's because what I'm recommending is a children's book this week. Um, and it is a book that is called Amelia Tuzora, 26 Women Who Changed the World. Um, I'm recommending it because we have this book. My daughter absolutely adores it. She calls it the book of women who did important things. That's her, uh, that's her name for it. I love that so much. <laughs> I know, right? Um, and I have to give uh, credit, give a shout out. This book was given to her as a gift by her aunt, uh, Pamela Grubbs, and uh, Pamela's new husband, Corey. They got married um, in December and Arden was in their wedding. And this was the gift they gave her for being a flower girl. Um, it's a great book. It has beautiful mixed media art pictures in it. And it talks about um, 
Women Who Changed the World. Um, the Amelia Zora's Amelia Earhart's is Zora Neale Thurston, but there are tons of different women in between. It's a great book if you um, if you have a daughter or a son um, and you would like that uh, young child to learn about some women's history. And um, it's th there's a lot of text on each page. It actually gives a quite a lot of information about each woman. Um, when I read it to my daughter, who's only five, I kind of give a summary um, of each page to her. So it would actually even work, I think, for an older child, even though it's a book with pictures. Um, it would be very interesting, I think, for any kid up to probably 10. Um, so that's, that's my recommendation for this week. It's written by a woman called Cynthia Chin Lee. Um, and we'll link that too. And the one other thing that I'm going to post, and this is not a recommendation, but I'll post it with the show notes, is um, in doing all the research for this episode and um, kind of talking through these things, I've also compiled a list. Um, and I'll either put it in the show notes or I'll link it on our Facebook page. But um, just kind of an informal list of signs that you or someone you know or love may be involved in Christian patriarchy. Because <laughs> so often this, these things can sneak in um, and, you know, uh, I, I read a really sad story on one of these blogs of a, a young woman who um, started dating a guy in college um, and was getting very serious with this guy and really, really cared for him. And then kind of basically um, figured out that his family was very deep into the Christian patriarchy movement. And in the end, it was it was a very sad ending because he was never able to break free of that world enough to to stay in a relationship with her, to get married to her. And she was not going to, to go into that world with him, but she'd said over and over how long it took her to figure out what was going on. Exactly. What was, was, was true about his family because they are not always, you know, um, laying out everything for someone they would consider an outsider. So I, I made a kind of a list and we'll put that too, just so you can read it. Um, things like specific phrases you might hear or things like that. Um, and we'll link that too. Thanks for being patient and hanging with us, listeners. I know this has been a, a long episode with a lot of information. Um, and we just want to thank you in general, too, for listening to the Christian Feminist Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a topic idea or reading recommendations for future shows, or if you just want to contact us, you can do so at christianfeministpodcast at gmail.com or on our Facebook page. For show notes for this episode and other episodes, check out christianhumanist.org. The Christian Feminist, Feminist Podcast is a member of the Christian Humanist Podcast Network, Christian Philippic is our publishing liaison, and Ellen Peterson is our new intern. For Blake Miller and Victoria Reynolds Farmer, I'm Katie Grubbs. Tune in in two weeks for an episode on Anne of Green Gables. And until then, in Essentials Unity and Non-Essentials Liberty and in All Things Love. <laughs>